to answer um, to answer the questions that we just uh, that we just sang in that hymn. Were you there? The answer is yes. Um, yes, you you were there. Yes, I I was there. Yes, we we were there because it's for us that Christ died because of our sin for us, and it's for us that He rose as well. So yes, you you were there. Um, let's uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, it's it's for you that we're here, um, and it's it's because of you um, that that we are here as well. God, we uh, we need we need you, and and we need to hear we need to hear from you. We we want to hear from you. I hope we want to hear from you. I want to hear from you, and so I pray that you would. Um, that you would speak to us today and that you would speak to us through through your word. And it's not that we just simply want to to, to hear what you have to say in your word, but we want to we want to know it. We want to we want to understand it and we want it to change to change our lives. Um as as you teach us Holy Spirit, um we want to be changed. We want to understand, we want to change, we want to apply it. We want it to affect us and to affect us in in profound ways, um, not not just simply because it's about us, um, but because it's it's about you. And so, ultimately, Lord, we we want you to be to be glorified. And so we would would we would ask that above all else that you would glorify yourself today through the through the proclamation of your word, through the hearing of your word, and through changed changed lives. Again, Jesus, we, we, we love you and we praise you. You alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus is alive. Um, amen, right? I wouldn't normally ask for an amen, but Jesus is alive. Guys, get that, right? We, we, we worship and we serve a risen a risen Savior. And we get that, that he is as alive um, today as he was the moment he, he rose up from that grave. When, when Jesus ascended, when Jesus ascended to heaven, right, his, his soul didn't disembark. Now, I can't completely wrap my mind around this, and neither can you. But his soul didn't disembark from his, his body. And so God the Son, Jesus, is, is in heaven um, spirit now and his body is just i don't know where his body is right no 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 when when jesus rose um or, or ascended that is to heaven body and spirit he ascended to heaven he is the the forever god man now i can't get this how like jesus is 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 in heaven with with body and soul and the forever god man and then all the saints that have gone before us are are there you know spirit not body but he is there which is uh, the spiritual realm with a body. I don't. I don't know how that works. Doesn't matter. I don't need to know. You don't need to know. But but just understand that Jesus is alive, right? The forever God Man, right? Flesh and bones and blood and God of all creation is as alive today as he was when he ascended into the heavens. And that is the Jesus that we worship. That is the Jesus that has saved us. And I can't think of a better way today. To, to worship the forever God-man 
than to preach about the Holy Spirit. I said, wait a minute, that's not an Easter sermon. No, it's, 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 it's not a typical Easter, Easter sermon. But I, it's my desire to be, to be faithful and to remain faithful to, to where we've been um, from a preaching standpoint and where we're going. And so to that end, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stick to that. But the reality is, the reality is this. Right? And, and as I discussed last time, uh, last Sunday, and then, and then last time I preached, um, we're in Acts, right? And we're, we're just about, so the next time I preach, we're going we're gonna to start Acts chapter 2, right? And so we're just about to get into this day of Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the, the Holy Spirit. And so we've been kind of setting the stage for that. And last time I talked about the Holy Spirit, right? The fact that He is God and He is a distinct person separate from the Father. The Son doesn't proceed from them, but He's distinct and separate from them, yet, yet God, right? And so we examined His, his role as, as, as God, right? And, and then I said, well, we're going to talk about a few other things concerning the, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to do today. And then next time, we're going to look at the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we talk about the baptism first, because the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually precedes filling of the Holy Spirit. So we're kind of going through this systematically, right, establishing who he is, talking about baptism. That way, when we move into Acts chapter 2, we'll have the necessary uh, information, right, to actually deal with what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit and what actually happened on that day of Pentecost, but just thinking about this just real quick and tying it into our resurrected Lord. Listen, if Christ was still in the grave, there would be no Holy Spirit um, to talk about today, right? If, if he was still in the ground, he wouldn't have sent, right, the Holy Spirit after he ascended to heaven for us, to us, okay? So, so, so it is because of Christ, right, and his work that the Holy Spirit was sent. It's because of him and his work that we as believers have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and can be filled by the Holy Spirit. So it's very much appropriate and acceptable to to talk about the role and the work of the Holy Spirit on this resurrection Sunday. In in our society, in our culture there are or there is um at best I'll say some confusion um concerning um, the nature and the role of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think what we have is we have, we have two extremes. Okay? On one end of, of the spectrum, we have a, a group of people that um, not only overemphasize um, the Holy Spirit, they, they attribute certain things to him that, that are not of of him. Okay? And so so I think what that that causes then is that causes the other side of, of, of the spectrum, those that have more what I would say maybe a more biblical view, hopefully a more biblical view of a holy the Holy Spirit, that they tend to, because of this overreaction here and the, this wrong emphasis over here, this group over here tends to and because of the abuses over here, this group over here just tends to kind of just withdraw when it when it comes to to the Holy Spirit and, and talking about the Holy Spirit and issues of the Holy Spirit and maybe that's in part because there's not a, a full understanding of of the Holy Spirit right and so so again I think what we have is we have these 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 two almost almost extremes and so what what I'm seeking and hoping for is is somewhat of a of a balance um, in the middle let's 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 examine the Holy Spirit as we did a couple of weeks back right and and who he was right is God right. And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so what we have with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, again, I believe what we have are conflicting 
doctrines um, in Christendom today. And so I'm going to break these down into two. There's, there's, there's many more. All right, but for the sake of expediency, I'm going to, I'm going to um, give you two conflicting doctrines, okay? Um, and, and the one I'm going to call the charismatic view, okay? And the other one I'm just going to simply label as the, the non-charismatic view. And again, this is just concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The, the charismatic view, we'll address that first, and then we'll go to the non-charismatic view. Um, according to the charismatic view, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the receiving of power by the Holy Spirit that is manifested by the gift of speaking in tongues or the receiving of power manifested by um, some sort of enablement for works and or action um, for ministry. Uh, many that hold this position often equate the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The, the chain of, of reasoning for this, and if you want to turn to Acts, um, please do. We're going to turn to Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 5 first. I'm just going to kind of give you the, uh, the, the chain of reasoning, if you will, for, for this charismatic view. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says, um, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. And in Acts 1, 8, right before the ascension, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then in um, Acts chapter 2, we see in verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, so basically this charismatic view says Acts 1, um, 1, 5 plus 1, 8 equals 2, 4. Um, um, baptism equals, equals tongues essentially is, is, is where they go with those verses. I want to read you a couple quotes from uh, uh, various um, pastors, ministers um, that, that hold to this, this charismatic view of what it means to be baptized of the, the Holy Spirit. Um, again, just to give you an understanding of, of, of their uh, belief. Uh, Dennis Bennett explains that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs when a believer acknowledges the presence of the Holy Spirit in his or her life. It is then and only then that a believer becomes fully baptized by the Spirit. This is evidenced by a manifestation of the Spirit's power in the life of the believer. And the evidence for this, according to him, is the gift of speaking in tongues. And again, he bases this off of connecting those, those three verses in the first part of Acts. Pastor Wayne Goodall states that if a believer wishes to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he or she needs to attend a church or Bible study with others who have been baptized. Then if a person faithfully approaches the Lord in expectant prayer, this gift can and will be received. He says it's simply a matter of faith. John Piper states that, I think the essence of being baptized by the Holy Spirit is when a person who is already a believer receives extraordinary spiritual power for Christ's exalting ministry. Um, the fourth and final reason, he says, I give this morning for seeking baptism, um, seeing baptism with the Spirit as a special empowering for ministry is that it is described as a filling with the Holy Spirit. So there's this equating between baptism and filling, right, and, and an equaling of baptism to speaking in, in tongues as well. Um, and listen, uh, those quotes and, and what I've explained is not a full representation um, of all who hold 
this, what I, again, would call the charismatic view. So I, I want to explain that there are, just, just say that there are many, many different views with, 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 within that, you know, concerning how it happens. Some, some say that it's a one-time event, right? Others say that there's two baptisms, right? Um, the first baptism is actually going to be similar to the non-charismatic view that we're going to address with um, in a moment. And then the second baptism is more of this, this power, this gift, this tongues, or, or whatever it might be. Okay? But there, there are many views within, within, um, within this sphere um, when it comes to, again, that kind of charismatic uh, uh, baptism equals power equals, equals tongues. Um, now, the non-charismatic view... Um, and again, same with this. There might be some varying degrees of all of this. Um, the non-charismatic view in general states that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that each believer experiences at the moment of salvation, wherein the new believer, having received the Holy Spirit, is placed by him, that is placed by the Holy Spirit, into the body of Christ, that is the church. Furthermore, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the filling of the Holy Spirit, but precedes it. That is, baptism of the Holy Spirit happens first. Filling of the Holy Spirit happens after that. In fact, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is necessary in order for one to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So a short and simple defo would be this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the joining of a person to the church. I have in my notes, I wrote down, Acts 1.5 plus Acts 1.8 does not equal um, Acts to for baptism doesn't equal filling and baptism doesn't equal tongues. Now, just real quick, not to go too far off of, off of my notes here, and I think we'll see this more clearly when we move into Acts, uh, Acts 2 next time. Let me actually just read that for you. I'm going I'm gonna, to um, read 1 through 4 of Acts 2, but the next time I preach, we're actually going to look at 1 through probably 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from a, a, a sound... Um, there came from heaven, sorry, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what we'll look at next time is, is listen, that, that filling, okay, is not the same as baptism. We'll see that today. But in fact, um, the, the, the tongues that, that the first, uh, we'll say, part of the first century church spoke in, Right was a result of being filled by the Holy Spirit, but not a result or a direct result of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. So, so really, this is kind of a two-part thing. So, if you wanna, if you want the full picture, then it won't be next Sunday. I'm supposed to preach, but I have to, I have to leave town, and so it'll probably be the first Sunday of um, of May. So, if you want to get the full picture, first Sunday of May, um, we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, all right. When it comes to this issue, though, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, there, there is no reason for for confusion or or conflict. Okay, um, we can from Scripture clearly define the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's what I'm going to attempt to do today. One of the things, and before before I, I start that, one of the things that that practically concerns me, okay, um, about the the charismatic view. And calling it that, and call it, you can call it what you want. Maybe there's a better word for it. But one of the things that that concerns me about that is the subjective nature um, of of that view. And we understand that that um, there were signs and wonders that accompanied the the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit um, in um, the late 
first century, right? Mid to late first century. And we understand why, why that took place, right? It was to, to demonstrate authority, to demonstrate a power. God was establishing the church. Well, the church is already established now, all right? So there's no, no, no longer a need for, for these, these um, over-the-top, if you will, signs and, and wonders, okay? Um, but the thing that concerns me is the subjective nature, though, about the charismatic view, saying that um, uh, it's, it's based on these signs, or these ones based on speaking in tongues, it's based on speaking uh, or, or, or receiving power for ministry. You know? And so if someone under that view is, is desiring to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, right? you say, well, I have an experience, right? it's based on a self-experience, I haven't experienced this, this, this language yet. Or I haven't experienced this, this, this power, right? What about the one on the outside looking in, right? Benny Hinn speaks in tongues. Benny Hinn, he's a good speaker. He seems to speak with power and authority. So does that mean he's been baptized by the Holy Spirit? It's subjective, isn't it? You know, we're seeing him do these things. Well, is it him doing those things or is it the Holy Spirit in him doing those things, right? If he says it's the Holy Spirit, then I kind of have to accept his, 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 his word for it, don't I? You know? And so there's, there's, there's too much room for, I don't know, is it, is it not? Is it really tongues? Is it really not tongues? Is it just a made-up word? Is it not a made-up word? Is the power that he's speaking with because he's just a good communicator? Or is it, is it actually God working in him or God working through him? Okay, so the, the subjective nature of it does kind of concern me, right? But just because someone's concerned about something being subjective or objective doesn't make it so or doesn't make it not so. We have to go to Scripture, okay, to determine and to define. And again, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to do today. Um, and I'm going to do that by really just going through, through four points that kind of um, define or seek to define um, uh, this this view that I hold, which is the non-charismatic view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is, is the fact that it's unique to New Testament believers only. The second is that it's experienced by all believers. The third point we'll look at is that it's a one-time event that occurs at the moment of salvation. We'll, we'll talk about that. And then the, the fourth point is that it joins us, that is, it joins believers in unity to the body of Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is unique, okay, to New Testament believers only. That means that it wasn't experienced by, I'll say, uh, or, or received or whatever you want to uh, define that as, by Old Testament believers with, with exception, and we'll see that when we get to this point. Um, there were those, those kind of semi-quasi- Intertestamental, how about that? Intertestamental believers, like like we'll use Peter for example, because that's where we're going here in Acts chapter two. Peter was was you know somewhere in there, right? Was do I believe he was saved before the day of Pentecost? Absolutely, he was, right? But did he have the baptism of the Holy Spirit prior to the day of Pentecost? No, he didn't. Jesus said, "I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit." That's that's coming up. So there were these believers in this kind of intertestamental New Testament church getting founded, started period that were, were saved, right? Saints, believers, didn't have the Holy Spirit, and then given the Holy Spirit, even after they were saved, right? that, that was unique to that period, not normative for believers outside of, 
either side of that period. But it is unique, okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is unique to the New Testament church, to those who are in, were in, are in, are going to be in, right, future, right? The New Testament church. We know this in part from um, John the Baptist's proclamation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3. We have this in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm just going to read um, the, 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 the testimony here in Mar- uh, Matthew 3.11. Because all the gospels say the the exact um, the exact thing, but in three eleven, John says um, John the Baptist that is, he says I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming and he's speaking of Jesus right, but he who is coming after me is mightier than me or mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you, he says with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, so at this point, right, John the Baptist here is talking, and we're looking somewhere in, what, 30, 30-ish AD, you know, 29, 30, um, a little bit before then, depending on how you date the birth of Christ and all that stuff, but, but late 20s, right, John the Baptist here, he's talking, and he's saying, hey, listen, I'm baptizing with water. Uh, um, someone's coming who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit's not been given yet. The Holy Spirit's not been sent. Doesn't mean he's not operative, right? We talked about that last time. But, but it's not normative that the Holy Spirit has been given to the church. The Holy Spirit has been given to believers. That's, that's coming. So what does that tell us? It tells us it's not yet, which means what? Right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit right, wasn't um, a reality for Old Testament believers or Old Testament saints. In Acts 1.5, I read that moments ago, but we can go back there. Again, this is, this is, um, this is Jesus post resurrected Jesus, and he says, for John baptized with water, he's even going back to that, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, so looking back from a historical perspective, we can actually, within a narrow time frame, we can, we can, um, we can date, if you will, when, when the receiving by believers of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as far as a normal operation, we can, we can date when that began, right? So prior to that, it wasn't the case. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is unique to New Testament believers only. Again, not experienced by Old Testament saints. Now, the central text, moving to the second point, is that I believe, right, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is undeniably experienced, if you will, we'll call it an experience, um, experienced by all believers. Okay, Again, day of Pentecost forward, right? Experienced by all believers. The central text that demonstrates this, we're going to look at this a couple times as we, as we work our way through this this morning, is 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, verse 13. So let's turn there. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Um, just some background information. Listen, there was um, divisions in the church over spiritual gifts. Okay? Um, and Paul's, Paul's addressing... Um, He's, he's addressing this. Now, part of this, part of the division that was occurred or was occurring was, was in part a result from pagan practice and influence. Okay? Uh, also, there was this overemphasis of gifts and an elevation 
of importance of certain gifts over others, which is kind of funny because we see those exact same things today in the church, don't we? We see pagan influence, um, right, um, creeping into the church, and there's pagan influence in practice, okay, I believe in part affects um, how the church, right, and I'll use that, that, that term loosely, okay, but how the church views some of these what I'll call sign gifts, right, some of the miraculous, okay, um, also, there, there tends to be, um, again, using the term loosely within the church today, an overemphasis um, on these gifts as well, where, where, where some tend to elevate certain gifts, and it's usually the sign, by, by sign gifts, you know what I mean by sign gifts? It would be like the speaking in tongues, the like, like uh, 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 casting a demon out, or like uh, you know, laying on hands and someone falls back, or whatever, where you can like see like a visual manifestation or an audible manifestation of something. Those are kind of like sign gifts, okay? And so what we see in the church today, where there's an overemphasis on sign gifts, okay, and there's a, um, I'll be gentle, I'll say an, an underemphasis, really a disregard um, in certain groups of, of, I'll say, the non-sign gifts, like, um, like a gift of, of, of helps, like, like, like serving, right, you know? I mean, nobody wants to emphasize the, guy, emphasize, like, the gift of, 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 of being a, uh, just a, a, a good servant to where you go and you plunge a toilet that's stopped up. Nobody wants to praise that person or emphasize that. They want to put all the attention and the focus on the one who's doing something like crazy and that's, that's visual or loud or whatever the case might be. And, you know, they glorify one and they just kind of dis, disregard the other. But we know Paul, he talks about the body, right? And every aspect of the body is important, right? The, the pinky toe, right? I mean, I ever talk about that. I've talked about it with my friends. Like, yeah, if you had to lose a, a digit, what digit would you lose? You know, you think about that. Like, I know that sounds crazy. We were talking one day at work, and it's like, hey, did you know on our insurance policy you get $15,000 if you lose a, a something? And so we were just, just this, this crazy conversations you have in the cockpit at 41,000 feet. What, what would you lose? I mean, if you had a choice, which one would you, which one would you lose, right? With the toe. Actually, I think it would be, um, it would be this finger right here because I don't wear jewelry, and, and I would still have the rest of my hand. And, and so we, we're, we're, we're talking about that, right? Because this, this finger is much more important. I mean, much, it's less important. Then my ring finger, I, you need your thumbs, you need your pinkies for a full grip, right? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm underemphasizing one and I'm overemphasizing the other. Well, Paul, when he's talking about the body of Christ, right, he's using a physical body and he says, listen, that finger right there that, that I would, you know, lose if I had to lose one, Paul says, no, that's as important as your tongue. That's as important as your eyes. That's as important as, as your heart, Okay. But again, what we're seeing in the church is we're seeing this, this overemphasis on some gifts and some people that have these gifts and this disregard for others that, that don't. And so Paul is, I'm wondering where I'm going with this, Paul is addressing this in 1 Corinthians because it was happening in the church you know, almost 2,000 years ago just as it is happening in the church today. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, yeah, I'm sorry, 12, 13, he says, no, oh, yeah, 12, 13. I'll just read 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, um, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
So Paul's saying that, well, listen, first of all, believers, right? We're all a part of one body. What's that body? That's, that's the church, okay? He says, in fact, we're, we're baptized by the Spirit. We're immersed, right? Baptized, to baptize means to immerse. We're immersed into this body that is the church. We're put into this body by the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a giving of the Holy Spirit, and it's a putting of the one that's been given the Holy Spirit. It's a putting of that person, a placing of that person into the body of Christ, into the church. And we're going to see that uh, even further as we understand how the, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit creates a unity. Listen, we as believers, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. We as believers, because we possess, or he possesses us, if you will, but not in a crazy demonic sense, um, because we possess or he possesses us, that is the Holy Spirit, we have a unity as believers that Old Testament saints didn't have and that they didn't even experience. But the Holy Spirit now now living in us, living through us, unifies us. Again, I kind of jumped to that point, but we'll look at that again. All right. So again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what? It's a putting of an individual who has been saved into the body of Christ. It's experienced by all believers. Every believer has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Every believer has been placed into the church. It is a one-time event that now, and I'm going I'm to put now, okay, it's important that I say that, that is now, or that now occurs at the moment of salvation. I don't know when the apostle Peter was saved, okay? I don't, I don't know when that happened. Um, but I know when he was baptized by the Holy Spirit, and that was on the day of Pentecost, okay? That was when he received the Holy Spirit. Again, that wasn't normative, right? Um, you know, there was this short time frame when people were saved, and then they received the Holy Spirit, right? And then they were filled by the Holy Spirit after they received the Holy Spirit, right? And, and they had and performed and did certain signs, certain wonders, speaking in tongues, which at that point was a demonstration that they'd received the Holy Spirit, right? Because it wasn't normative that all believers at the moment of salvation received the Holy Spirit then. That's why it was the way it was. But now it is normative, okay? That it is a one-time event that occurs at the moment of salvation. Let's look at... Um, a couple passages in Acts. Um, again, I'm going to start in, in 2.1. I know I read that uh, moments ago, but we'll look at that again. We're going to look in chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter, um, chapter 11. So 2.1 through 4. Again, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. These were the, the believers at the time. Okay, we figure about 120 of them, I think, is what, what we were thinking. Um, uh, uh, these were the believers at the time. This was the church, right? Who were the they? The they was that core, the, the, the approximately 120, somewhere in there, okay? They, they were together in one place, right? Post-ascension, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So in this passage, and we're going to look at this more next time, they first received the Holy Spirit. They were first baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit was evidenced 
by the speaking in tongues. Okay, Acts chapter 10. Um, we're going to look at 44 through 47. While Peter was still um, saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even to the Gentiles. For they were um, hearing them, speaking in tongues, extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Let's look at chapter 11 now, 15 and 16. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as um, on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, now those who hold this charismatic view will use these passages to say, see, they were saved first, okay? And then they received the Holy Spirit. So, so the, Holy, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after someone has said. Now, I will agree in these three passages, and there's, there's uh, at least one other one that I know of, maybe a few more instances in Scripture. And we know there are probably more instances outside of Scripture that just aren't recorded. But we know we have a few examples of where individuals were saved first. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Where individuals were saved first, and then they received the Holy Spirit, were baptized by the Holy Spirit, evidenced by tongues and other things. All right, good. This is not normative now, and the reality is it wasn't normative then, and we're going to see that in some of Paul's passages um, momentarily, but there was this period of time where they were saved first and then baptized again, and it was for a very specific purpose. The church was being, was being born, really. The church was being born. The church was being established, and these things were evidentiary issues that God was using in the establishment of the church. Now, once the church was established, these things, this time frame, if you will, when it came to being baptized, was no longer necessary. Right? And at the point at which it became no longer necessary, right, at the moment of salvation, then believers were baptized. They were given the Holy Spirit, right? And they were placed into the church. And we see this evidenced from Paul's Writing. So not much, not much further time down the road from when all of this stuff at Acts was happening, right? A couple years maybe, 10 tops. All right, so let's look at, um, let's look at Romans 8, 9, uh, 8. We're going to go Romans, Ephesians, and we're going to go back to that passage in Corinthians we all, all already looked at. Um, so let's start oh, Romans 8, 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay. So if you do not, at this point of Paul's writing, if you do not possess the Spirit of... I'm sorry. If you do not possess the Holy Spirit, right... Then what does he say? You don't belong to Christ. He doesn't belong to you. You don't have the Holy Spirit. 
He says you don't have Christ. Now, again, we know that there was a time where this wasn't so, right? Again, go back to to pre-Pentecost. Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit. The day before Pentecost, Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit, so he must not have had Christ. No, he had Christ. At that point, he just didn't have the Holy Spirit. It wasn't normative then. Again, God was working all this out, not figuring it out, but he was working it out. He was bringing it all to pass. Okay, but the point at which Peter, I'm sorry, the point at which Paul was writing this, Paul was saying that's done, okay, the getting saved first and then receiving the Spirit. What he's saying now is he's saying, listen, when you have Christ, right, when you're saved, when you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ. You can't have one without the other, right? We see this again in Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. When are you sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul? According to Ephesians 1, 13. When you're saved. That's what he says. Right? When you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. Then, that's when you're sealed. Saved, sealed, given the Holy Spirit, baptized, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, who is what? The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right, back to 1 Corinthians 12. Again, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the Holy Spirit in the lives of all believers is the seal of salvation. If you don't possess the Holy Spirit, you don't possess Christ. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit who what? Baptizes, according to Paul now in this passage in Corinthians, baptizes into the church. So we get this what? We get this connection between these three verses, between salvation, receiving the Holy Spirit, and being baptized by the Holy Spirit that is being immersed by him into the church. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that occurs at the moment of salvation, whereby the one who has just been saved receives the Holy Spirit, and having received the Holy Spirit, is placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, placed into the church. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I know I kind of already got to this, and this is my fourth point and final point, but what, what, does, it, what does it do? I mean, practically speaking, yes, it joins us to the body of of Christ, all right? But it joins us specifically in unity to the body of Christ. What is it? Benny, what is it that unifies us? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Living living in us. And I don't get how that works. I don't understand. I mean, I don't. Right? I mean, he, he body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. I don't, I don't you know, I, I can't comprehend that. That's okay. You can't either. All right? I don't I don't understand how that works. Our spirit, his spirit work. I don't I don't get it, okay? But but it's but it's the reality of it because God proclaims it in his word. But it's the Holy Spirit living 
living in us, dwelling in us, living, living through us, right? That, 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 that commonality that we have, him in us, him in you, him in me, right? That's what, that's what unifies us as a church. Right? How, can, how can we be, how is it possible, not how can, but how is it possible that, that us as individuals, that, I mean, let's face it, we're different folks. I mean, personality-wise, we're, a lot of us are like, woo, night and day, right? Socioeconomic, woo, night and day, right? We got country folk, we got city folk, right? We got, I mean, we got people all across the spectrum. And, and, and how is it that we can be, how is it that we can be so close, right? How is it that, that, that our relationship as, as believers can be can be better and closer than the relationships that some of us experience with even our own own family members, right? Well, it's because of Christ, but it's because of Christ and the unity that we now experience because of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians, um, Ephesians four, one through six. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. That's the reality of it. Right? There's 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 one body. There is one church, capital C. There's lots of little churches. There are churches with a little C, right? right? That would be us, Sovereign Grace Bible Church of Ada. Okay? We're we're a local congregation, right, of the the one church. There's there's one body, he says. Right? And one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope. That belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? So what's the purpose? I mean, what's the what's the end game of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's not it's not for you to have some ecstatic experience. Of, of speaking in tongues, right? It's not, it's not for you to, to receive power for ministry and action. Now, God does that, and he does that in part through the filling of the Holy Spirit next time, right? But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right, isn't about that. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit that we as believers would be unified Right, in one body that is the church, for one purpose. And what's that purpose? That purpose is to go ye, therefore, that we now, as a unified body, right, as the unified church, right, would go out and proclaim the glorious gospel of grace. That's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
the one, um, I'm going to end here just to kind of let you know where we're at, right? Um, the one holding to the charismatic view um, asks if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit um, to the end that you may have some ecstatic experience, um, ecstatic, sorry, experience evidence by speaking in tongues or that you may receive power for, for ministry or power for works, right? But the one holding to the non-charismatic view, which I believe is the biblical view, right? Or I should say, as one, me, right, who holds to what I believe is the biblical view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I ask if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit to the end, to the end that you would repent of your sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Unlike those quotes that I read to you at the beginning, how's a person baptized by the Holy Spirit? It's not by attending a church where people have experienced this sign, this wonder, this gift, right? Um, how is a person baptized by the Holy Spirit? How are you bought it, brought into the body of Christ? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? What must I do? What must a person do? Right? To turn from your sin, to repent. And as you let go of your sin, right, and you're holding on to it, right? can't hold on to your sin and hold on to Christ. I mean, my arms are full. I mean, I can't do it. My arms are full. And so I've got to let go of this. I've got to repent of this. I've got to let go of this and letting go of this. Now I hold on to Christ, right? So if you've not been baptized by the Holy Spirit, right, if you've not received the Holy Spirit, if you're not in the church, there's only one way that that can happen, and that's to turn from sin. That's to turn to Christ, the one who defeated death, who conquered the grave on the third day, rose again, demonstrating that God's righteous wrath against sin has been satisfied. The one who now sits at the right hand of God, waiting for the time when he makes all things new and sets all things right. Let's pray. Um, Father, I do, I do desire for us to have proper understanding of, of, of you. I mean, the, the triune God, that we would fully understand to the extent that we are humanly capable, that we would fully understand the Father and, and his, 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 his role, his work, and our relationship to him, and the Son and his role and his work and our relationship to him, and, and the Holy Spirit and his role and his work and our relationship to him. It's, it's my desire that we would all grasp that ultimately, um, for the praise of your glory. And, and yet we know that, that, that it benefits us, that having a proper understanding of the role and the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit glorifies you, but yet it's, it's for, for our good. Individually, it's for the good of, of, of your church. It's for the good of those whom um, you will save as well. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, you would give us this understanding. And that as we, as, we, as we gain this understanding, we would, we would seek to apply it to our lives in such a way that, again, continues to glorify you, in such a way that proclaims it to others around us, that we would gain, that we would benefit, that ultimately we would become more like Christ as we understand the nature of God better. And so I pray, God, that you would, you would continue to pair our hearts and minds as we, as we move forward, even in Acts here in 
whenever, Lord, you allow me to come back and, and continue, but that we would, um, that you would prepare us for that, that, that we would be prepared to, to jump into Acts chapter 2 and that we would examine, you know, now having an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what being baptized of the Holy Spirit means, that we would understand what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And not only that we would understand what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit, but as we'll see here in a couple of weeks, that we'll desire to be filled by the Holy Spirit. That we will, we will desire to live Spirit-filled lives. Again, not just for our good, but more than that, for your glory as you, as you use us to accomplish your purposes in this world. Again, Jesus, we, we love you. Um, you, um, you are alive. Every other, every other God out there, every other Savior out there, they're all dead because they're false. They're not Saviors and they're not gods. But you, Jesus, the one true God, the only Savior, are alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting to return to make all things right, to make all things new. And we long for that day. We pray for that day, but until that day, we ask that you would continue to use us to accomplish your purposes. It's in your name we pray. Amen.